0: Ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Pod People. I hope that all of you are having a great winter time. It is getting colder, the snow is falling, the leaves are all on the ground, the trees are dead, and it's time to stay warm and not lose your fingers.
1: That is, unless you live in California. Um, then
0: you are very warm. Yes, incredibly
2: warm. uh, Thanks, California, for stealing all of the warmth from the rest of the country. Can we get some of those wildfires here in Milwaukee?
0: Well, I could deal with a couple fires here and there, something to lighten up the scenery. And I hope that... All of you enjoyed our Mike Flanagan episode, and you have all been very careful around your mirrors. I know that I had a pretty bad experience in front of the mirror yesterday, but that was because my face has been horribly scarred as of late. I decided to get myself a mask to cover myself up. It's a nice mask. Thank you. I went over to the Halloween store, and just like many Halloween stores that are still open in December, they were very cheap. I got myself this nice Phantom of the Opera mask, but since my injuries are all over my face, it only yeah, covers I was. Up. I
2: didn't want to say anything, but it only covers up part of your face, and it's not even the grossest part. So I, I, think I realized
0: need... that putting it <sighs> on. I know what the I'm getting you part. for Christmas. Oh, don't tell me, don't tell me. I want that to be a surprise. I've had a lot of time off work. They have let me go. I am looking for a new job, but it has allowed me to catch up on some news. Amazon has recently purchased the Lord of the Rings franchise from Tolkien Estates. They bought it for
2: a whopping
0: amount, $250 million.
2: Yes, indeed. That is related to our main topic today as this is our peter jackson episode lord of the rings isn't really a horror franchise but uh still tangentially related but we'll get into that yes first let's let's talk talk about this this, uh this amazon deal like you said eugene um amazon bought the rights to a lord of the rings tv franchise for 250 million dollars which is The uh, highest amount that they have ever spent on a television series, and it's just for the rights. That's $250 million, not including any production costs whatsoever, just for the rights, which is absolute insanity.
1: What do you think uh, their direction is going to be post-Peter Jackson? Because the Peter Jackson movies are iconic, and you can't really... Just imitate them if you're going to do new Lord of the Rings.
2: Right. Well, they're saying that this is going to be, the series is going to be a prequel to The Fellowship of the Ring based on stories from Tolkien's universe. So I don't know if they're delving what? into like some of his like short
0: fiction that's what they paid 250 million dollars for right
2: it's not it's not gonna be a reboot of the lord of the rings it takes place in middle earth prior to the events of the fellowship of the ring i don't know if they're gonna be delving into the silmarillion at all to me what this seems like is this seems like amazon's answer to game of thrones
1: well yeah absolutely absolutely But I I think it'll be a little toothless in comparison.
2: Most likely, yes. I think they're doing this at a smart time, though, from a a business standpoint, because we only got one more season of Game of Thrones left, which may not premiere until 2019. And then after Game of Thrones is over, everybody's going to be looking for something to fill the medieval fantasy gap. And I think that that's why they're jumping on this right now, because they're thinking that they can become the new Game of Thrones. What do you guys think?
0: Well, I just feel, is anyone really going to want the answer to the new Game of Thrones to be another Lord of the Rings I don't
1: know. I don't know if I do. Also, I question the success of this, because we've seen The the Hobbit, Mm -hmm. three movies of The Hobbit. I feel like they got diminishing returns. I don't know how many people saw the third one, but I don't think it was as many as any of the Lord of the Rings movies. I don't think so movies, either. You know?
2: I, I did go see the third one in theaters, and all I can say is it was better than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you don't like the, the, the barrel sequence? That was the second one, Ben get your shit together.
1: Wasn't that in the first one though? Because nah, the fam. second one was all smeg. No, 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 no. Smeg. Smeg
2: only showed up at the end of the second one. The barrel scene was definitely in the second one.
0: I remember watching the second one in a high frame rate. Uh reminds me of like a British soap opera or something like that. It it does not translate well for film. That yeah, sort no. of no uh... high
1: frame rate is one of those fads. I'm glad
2: I died out yes, immediately. Yes. Big mistake. It's not really uncanny valley, but it gets into that same kind of territory for me. Where when I'm watching something <laughs> in high frame rate, it just makes me like viscerally uncomfortable. Just looks well, weird.
1: Yeah. The problem is, you know, we've con- been conditioned all our life to see movies as 24 frames a second. I I read something super interesting about that, actually. Like, scientists went to, like, Inuit tribes where they haven't seen movies or TV or anything and showed them things in 60 FPS. And their eyes were conditioned to it to the point where afterwards, once they showed them, like, 24 frames a second movies, it looked, like, jumpy to them. Whoa. Yeah, so... It's all eye conditioning and...
2: Is it eye conditioning or is it just that Inuits see in 60 frames per second? Gotta have fast eyes to catch those (laughs) seals.
1: Ice fish.
2: (laughs) 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 All right, I think we're getting a little bit sidetracked. Let's get back to Amazon and the Lord of the Rings.
0: It seems like this sort of medieval uh, fantasy mix is something that we'll get tired of. By the time Game of Thrones is over, and the reason why we cared about Game of Thrones in the first place was never really about the fantasy elements.
2: Well, no, it's it's pretty lax on the fantasy elements, at least in the first few seasons. It's, mo- it's more like a fucking, like, political drama in a lot of ways.
0: Right, and that's where... it's set a lot of
2: in them. a f- medieval fantasy setting.
0: And especially if they're going to focus on characters outside of Lord of the Rings, or even The Hobbit, I imagine, who's going to want to care?
2: I don't know, dude. I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I almost think I would dislike this more if they just, like, re booted the Peter Jackson franchise. I don't know, maybe I'm just biased because I love the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings trilogy yeah, so, so leave much. It alone. Right, leave it alone. That's what I'm saying, like if they were if they were going to just retell that story with different actors and different people working on it who's gonna
0: care otherwise
2: i don't know man it's too early to say it's too early to say i'm keeping my expectations very low what direction would you want them to take it i like i said it's too early to say it all depends because all we've heard right now is that amazon has acquired the rights they have not begun production as far as i know they have not begun begun casting they haven't even begun writing so it all depends on who they get involved on the project.
1: I know what I want to see. I want to see like a multi-season Tom Bombadil
2: uh, <laughs> Oh series. yeah, okay. No, now I'm on board with that.
1: <laughs> Where he's just living in trees. You know, honestly, smoking a lot of magic seeds.
2: Honestly, if they if they did shit out of the Silmarillion, I think that that could be interesting because a lot of stuff in that book is very, uh, it's very broad. It's more of like a, like an epic, I guess. It, does, it doesn't get too much into minutiae. And I think if they take some of those ideas, then they could flesh that out in basically whatever way they want. I guess we're just going to have to see. It's been a long time since I've read that book. Too. What directors do you think could do a good job with this? cuz it's
1: not going to be peter jackson it won't again. be peter jackson and i'm kind of glad about that cuz i'm glad he's moving on
2: i yeah i guess so You're although tintin too <laughs> i yeah. he's, he's i not was cool. not a fan of the hobbit trilogy i don't know if that was so much peter jackson's fault as it was the studio's fault for stupidly deciding to split a children's book into three fucking 3 hour movies I
1: blame both of them. Peter Jackson is equally to blame. Like I guess so. He did his best with them, but...
0: Uh, should we jump into our movies for today? As yeah. we mentioned, we are talking about early Peter Jackson films, and we wanted to start off with his first feature length, Bad Taste, released in 1987.
2: Yes. Bad Taste is uh, Peter Jackson's first feature film, a director from New Zealand, for those who don't know. It is about a government agency trying to uh, repel an alien invasion who are on earth to use human beings as livestock for an intergalactic fast food chain this movie is extremely schlocky very over the top just a whole lot of fun the I think the production of this movie is actually extremely interesting. It started out as an idea for what Peter Jackson wanted to be, a 10-minute short film about a uh, collection agent who goes to a town to retrieve collection for a charity or something, and he finds the town deserted and gets chased by... Uh, A cannibal man who then leads him back to uh, a house with a whole tribe of cannibals. Basically, I think Peter Jackson was trying to make the New Zealand equivalent of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) But once he went into the editing room, he realized that he had upwards of 50 minutes of usable content. So he just decided, fuck it, I'm going to flesh this out and turn it into a feature film. And so over the course of the next four years, he and his friends shot Bad Taste on weekends. And then towards the end of it, uh, a production company in New Zealand... Uh, gave him some money to finish it up because they saw some of his dailies or something like that. There was never actually a full script for this movie. They sort of just shot stuff as Peter Jackson came up with it and cobbled it together. It doesn't really feel too much like that. Like, it feels pretty cohesive for the most part. What do you guys think? Well, I it's- don't know. I think, I think it's it's biggest
1: strength and its biggest downfall in that you know the diy feel gives it you know kind of a a tone for the whole movie that's fun and low budget and you know it's very entertaining in mm-hmm. that respect but it's also it's kind of kind of it's downfall in my opinion cuz it loses a little bit of focus like it goes in tangents several times
2: a little bit I would say that it really just has one section in the middle that seems to really drag and feel sort of out of character from the rest of it. Other than that, I feel like it's it's pretty cohesive for the most part. It gets a little tangential at times, but it does a pretty good job of writing itself back on course, I think. At least in like the first 45 minutes to an hour... It does kind of get a little sloppy after that.
0: Well, it keeps your attention for all that because one thing that's very impressive is that Peter Jackson created all of the props, did all the special effects oh, yeah. for the movie. It's and ex- there's,
2: extremely DIY,
0: and there's a there's a, certainly nothing like some of his other movies. But there's a plenty bit of gore and some great little moments in this film that show a. Yeah, an energy that you you find that really you want to seek out in a movie it's like this.
2: Just his early stuff is just so wild to me that he went on to create something like the Lord of the Rings, like something so serious, so polished, really well done. And then you look back at his early stuff, which I really enjoy, but it's so, it's, it's exploitational, you know, it's grindhouse, extremely gory, lots of practical effects, uh, extremely comedic, intentionally so, super schlocky, really fun. He's like a different filmmaker, you know?
0: One thing I love too, is that Peter Jackson plays two roles in this film. (laughs) One of them, he plays a member of this government agency, which first off, they say they work for the government. God, they do not look no, like they work no, for the I, government. I, do, I don't
2: buy it. Sure, they might
0: be undercover, but man, no, that not for a second. Not <laughs> for a of second. Disbelief.
2: Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, that's the funniest shit later on when they uh, assault the house. Just, to, what, three of them? Three of them, yeah. Three of them, three of them against like against like eighty aliens, and they're in like tactical gear, but it's really just like sweatpants and sneakers, and then uh, like fake bulletproof vests. <laughs> and I mean, I know it's all like low budget and stuff, so it, it's forgivable. But I just couldn't help thinking the whole time I was watching, like these guys don't work for the government. These are just <laughs> these are just some fucking schlubby New Zealanders running around a coastal town. They spent all their money on practical effects and couldn't buy good costumes. They <laughs> buy good costumes. I think they just wore what they had on. Like just, oh, oh yeah, just bring whatever you have from home. One thing I love is the uh, there is a moment because he plays
0: one of the workers for the government and an alien himself. Yes, that his other character captures and the alien breaks free and then they fight a each fist other fight between <laughs> each other and it's all cleverly shot so you can't see the faces of either one if one peter jackson's on screen because of course you can't have two peter jacksons at the same time but it's done with such a care and it must have taken a while to shoot you you admire the amount of time that he took just to film that sequence him oh, yeah. fighting himself
2: Oh yeah, it's great uh, because the he obviously shot all of the stuff with uh, where he's playing the alien Robert first because he's got you know he's he's a little bit more like the Peter Jackson we recognize long hair bushy beard long hair bushy beard still very young Um, he hadn't gotten fat yet he's still still skinny and then he just shaved off his beard and gave himself a bad haircut. And then he's Derek, the government agent, (laughs) who is extremely schlubby and also very whiny. But uh, he's just perched up on the cliff and he has the alien dangling off the cliff by a rope attached to his foot.
0: And he starts jamming a nail into the Uh, uh, like a like a
2: bayonet. And he's like hammering the bayonet into the bottom of the alien's foot. And so the alien uh, screams and calls for his reinforcements. And then we have a nice little shootout on the cliffs with fucking Peter Jackson in a Doctor Who scarf with, uh, <laughs> with, a an Uzi shooting at, uh, at aliens. I just find this movie
0: so enjoyable. I, I really do too. You want to watch a movie to be entertained sometimes. And certainly something like this, it's not trying to deliver any sort of grand message. It's just trying to provide you with some guts and gore and spectacle. It delivers on that it's
2: it's full of just great slapstick moments like Peter Jackson does like slapstick comedy really well and the combination of gore Plus, slapstick, I think, is a really, really excellent combination. I well,
0: think I couldn't help but think is that why there's that barrel scene in the second Hobbit movie where he's going down the ravine hitting all the orcs? Maybe he thought he wanted to add some of that slapstick back into his filmography. Yeah,
2: maybe, except it does not. It fit does not work. That, it does not work in that context no, at, all. at all. It, it works for something like this. And I mean, as a directorial debut, this film still has plenty of problems, but a lot of those are very easy to overlook just because of how much heart it has, you know? Like, it's obvious that Peter Jackson wanted this movie to be good. He he took it seriously. It's funny, but he obviously took the creation of this movie very seriously. And the love and attention to detail is apparent. Right, because
0: there is that difference between making a serious movie and taking the production of a movie seriously, because this movie's goofy. Oh, yeah. This movie is all around, just absurd. But self-aware. But there is still that time, like, having to craft that fight between him and himself... Right, and some of the there's there's one moment later on in the film where there there's an explosion that that occurs with a with a rocket launcher, and we see this rocket shoot through the air, which I thought was it's just was like a, like impressive. something on a
2: string <laughs> right yeah. just
0: shooting through, but it uh it t- stuff like that probably takes a lot of time to set up, and
2: oh, I'm sure, but that all that stuff that we'll get into at the end was certainly once uh he had a little bit more of a budget. Yes, because like like you mentioned, he he did the majority of the effects and prop design himself. Like all of the alien costumes, he made himself. Like he he baked the 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 masks in his mom's oven. Like the shape of the alien heads is bent back because that's the only way he could get them to fit in the oven. He built all of the guns himself. There's not a single prop gun in this movie that he did not build. I think most of them look pretty realistic. Yeah, I would say I think he did a good job. I think all that stuff, you know, works really well. And the gore and the practical effects in this movie are very good. Yeah, it's definitely
1: the high point of the movie. Absolutely. And it's kind of a precursor to Dead Alive in a lot of ways. Oh, definitely.
2: What I love so much is uh, one of my favorite things in this movie is after... Uh, he fights with the, the aliens on the cliff. Uh, Derek gets thrown from the cliffs, and we see him, like, splat below, and there's just blood everywhere, and we just assume he's dead. And then later, it comes back to him, and he wakes up, and we see that he just landed on a nest of seagulls. That broke his fall, and they're the ones that splatted. (laughs) Yeah, he just he like gets up, and there's just like a pile of (laughs) like maimed and dying seagulls, just like twitching. But then we see that he's not completely uninjured because the back of his skull has split open. And this, like, flap of skull keeps falling open and his brain and keeps falling brain out. <laughs> right. And and so he has to... Because when it opens, he starts having, like, seizures. So he has to find ways to keep his skull closed. So first he puts on, like, a top hat. And then by the end, he just has a belt cinched around his head. And every time his brain falls <laughs> out, he just keeps, like, stuff... Picking it up off the ground and stuffing it back in. And it's so Gross. I want to know what they what they made those brains out of. It must have been, like, chicken livers or something. Like, it's <laughs> definitely, like, real meat. Yeah. It, it looked slimy and disgusting. And oh, yeah, it. absolutely repulsive, and it's so great. And then there's that scene where an alien who has the top of his head shot off earlier is just being, like, eaten by the alien Peter Jackson with a spoon. He's just, like, scooping brain matter out of the like blown off top of this alien's head it's so good there is a uh, a part where it does start to to drag for a while in the middle when uh these government agents sort of like assault the alien compound they're in like this old house it just becomes a very generic like shootout
0: Right, none of that stuff is very impressive. No, but it's just for that moment because for most of the movie, these aliens are just people dressed. Right, up in they're like, in
2: human form.
0: Right, they're like in steel mill worker uniform. Yeah, they're just in like blue denim. coveralls, yeah. like
2: de- blue denim coveralls.
0: But then uh, after the they rescue that guy and the shootout occurs, they start to transform. And turn into the aliens, which uh, just helps bring back more of those effects that you you want to yeah, see. yeah once
2: once the aliens like reveal their true form uh it it definitely starts to pull my attention back because they're so ugly looking they're so gross they have like they're they're fucking they have like these big bony ass plates that like burst out of the seat of their pants, so they're just running around with like their ass hanging out. <laughs>
1: Here's a question I have for you guys. Okay, so do you think if they started with a full script for this that it would turn out better, or would it ruin kind of the, uh, the lo-fi DIY charm of it?
2: You know, it's that's hard to say, honestly, because I would not have guessed that it didn't have a full screenplay already until I read that, you know? It doesn't come across as too much of a jumbled mishmash
0: Honestly, for me, the fact that the movie is the way it is without a proper script leading the way, that it probably succeeded because of that, or that it wouldn't be any better if a script was actually written.
2: That's kind of how I feel, too. Like, if he can succeed with this film doing it the way he did, then I don't know. Maybe if he had thought it out more, it might have been worse. He might have overthought
1: That's what I'm thinking, you know, because especially with the first film, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have kind of that fuck it charm. Right, exactly. And I I don't know if that would be there if he, like, took the time to write everything out.
2: Another thing is that they, for the majority of the production, they were filming on a 16 millimeter camera that uh, did not have the capability to record sound. And then they were finally given a, a camera that could record sound later. But they all did not know how to record sound. So what they did record was totally unusable. So everything in this movie is all ADR and Foley. And I was thinking about that at points. And there's some moments of like pretty dense sound design And I'm just thinking about all of the work that must have gone into making all of the sound effects and like the soundscapes for this movie. From personal experience, knowing how long Foley and ADR takes for even just like a three minute clip of a film. To do that for an entire movie that's an hour and a half long must have taken fucking forever. Yeah,
1: the sound was kind of giving me like yellow vibes at times. A little bit, like, yeah. All those Italian movies where everything is ADR and dubbed,
2: right? It like a, a long like long. a like a Dario Argento film yeah, or something. Yeah, I love that stuff though. I I think the the over the top stuff really helps this movie. The editing is sloppy. I won't say it's bad, but it's it's sloppy, you know? It's, it's obviously, like, somebody's first real attempt at a film, and I think to really embrace the schlockiness of it is really what does this film the most justice. Yeah, it saves this film in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I do want to talk about the end of the movie. Once they escape and then one of them decides to go back and blow up the house and like the alien leader is trying to leave and he blasts off into space and it's just the house is the spaceship it's not like the spaceship tur- or the house turns into a spaceship or there's a spaceship inside the house it's literally just the house just blasts off into space what the alien leader doesn't realize is that Derek is in the house with the chainsaw, and he cuts through the ceiling of the room above the alien and falls on top of him with the chainsaw and then goes all the way through the alien's body. <laughs> right, and like, a straight dive. In a straight dive, like, goes through his head, through his entire body, and, like, out his ass. Which,
0: at a certain point, he's sticking out from the bottom, and you can still s- see his feet. Sticking like, out of the top of the right, alien's head. Right,
2: Are his feet like five feet long? That's that's a bit absurd. I guess. I don't know. And then at one point he's like, I'm reborn. (laughs) And then after he kills him, he puts on the, the alien leader's skin and he's on his way back to their planet, and he's going to kill as many of them as he can. I thought that was a great ending. Right,
0: setting it up for a sequel if anyone was ever interested. Uh, That's what
2: he should do now. No, Uh, no, slow to the... No, no, don't don't ruin this movie with a sequel (laughs) 20 years later, 30 years later, don't do it, don't do it. What if he does, like, a Twin Peaks? (laughs) No. Uh, Okay, but yes, now uh, that's all all I wanted to talk about. So now we can get into ratings. So I'll start. I'm going to give this a solid three and a half out of five. It does drag a little bit in the middle. It starts to get kind of boring, but it really finishes strong. And the whole beginning is just really, really excellent. A very earnest, heartfelt attempt at a first feature film. And I think it succeeds in that aspect. So... Eugene?
0: For me, I'm going to have to give it a four. I think that this is a a great movie to watch with a couple friends, even to watch by yourself. One thing we didn't mention is the music, too, that it's, uh, it adds some of that, that, that whimsy to it or that, that energy that helps keep it chugging along, which is something that seems to follow through in a lot of his earlier movies. The music is a big part of what helps keep it going tonally or just in terms of pacing and this is something that everyone should definitely check out if you're a fan of the lord of the rings trilogy it's something just to see where this director came just, from because it's very yeah, just beginning. to see
2: where he's coming from because this is nothing like lord of the rings and if you like lord of the rings does not necessarily mean you will like this movie it's very very different but still totally enjoyable and interesting as a retrospective to see where peter jackson is now and to see where he started this
1: movie is a great launch pad for peter jackson you see a lot of trademark elements of his early stuff in this movie i think this movie could have used a little more focus in my opinion it kind of dragged a little bit and it was a little all over the place at times but The high points are so high, and it's super entertaining throughout regardless. Um, So I'd give this a solid three and a half as well. Um, Worth checking out. Maybe not the first Peter Jackson movie you should watch, but it's a solid movie. All
2: right, so that gives us an average rating of 3.6 out of 5 pods. And with that, Eugene... Why don't you tell us about his next film, Dead yes, Alive? That's
0: right. Well, in between Bad Taste and Dead Alive, there was a movie, Meet the Feebles, oh, yeah, which was sort right. of a spinoff or something inspired by the Muppets, a bunch of puppet characters all trying to... They're like in a rock band or something of that. So I have not seen it. I haven't either. It
1: is something special. I'll Sometimes. tell you what. It, it takes the ideas of the Muppets and makes them like the grossest thing you can imagine it's just a nasty film
0: and certainly this movie uh that we're going to be talking about brain dead is something closer to bad taste in terms of its gore and oh boy we will get into the gore this movie begins off in sumatra
2: Well, yes, it actually begins on uh, Skull Island, which is Peter Jackson's homage to King Kong, which is one of his favorite movies, the original 1933, 37, which he then remade after Lord of the Rings. And there is an archaeologist,
0: a white person of some kind coming into this island trying to steal off this animal. And he's trying to take it to a zoo, which uh, good on this zoo for trying to find this one specific monkey all the way off. The Spout Sumatran Island. rat monkey. Sumatran rat monkey. That's right. And he is ambushed by a bunch of natives. And while he is escaping, he gets bit by the monkey and all of the uh, the other locals that are helping him out kick him out of the car, and chop his arm off, because they tell him that he's got the bite. They cut off his left arm, and as he reaches over, they see he's been bit on the other arm, and so then they chop that one off, and then they see he has a bite on his head, and then as they swing down on him, there's the title sequence, blood splatter, brain dead. I think it's a fantastic way to start off and let people know what they're in store for. Which yes, is we should. We should mention.
2: We should mention in terms of the title that if you're in the states, this film is titled Dead Alive because there was already a film when this came out called Brain Dead, starring Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. So internationally, it is Brain Dead. But in the United States it is Dead Alive.
0: Which I made the mistake of watching Brain Dead when I was a very young kid and I had heard about Dead Alive, knowing all the goriness, and I was, suffice it to say, very confused throughout the whole film. It's and I you stuck thought you were... until, I stuck through until the credits rolled and I'm like,
2: When's the Lawnmower show up? So you watched The American Brain Dead thinking you were getting Dead Alive. Exactly, and I was very wrong. This Brain
0: Dead or Dead Alive is all about a boy, a man you could even say. A man a, boy, a man child uh, named Lionel, and he is that because he has a very overbearing mother who is constantly nagging at him, trying to keep him close, doesn't want him socializing with all the a little hussies in town. Specifically, she's... this this girl who works at a shop named Paquita, who uh, becomes a romantic interest of his in the film, and she is uh, she becomes infatuated by Lionel because it, within the first five minutes of this film, she's getting a tarot card reading which, from
2: like her grandma or something right,
0: from her grandmother. One thing this film moves at a pace which I think is is so. Breezy. They're, this one, compared to Bad Taste, this does not lag at any point. To me, absolutely. Yeah, it's.
2: I wouldn't say it's rushed at all, but breezy is a good way to describe it. Yeah. It it moves along at a good pace, uh, not too fast to begin with, but then really picks up its momentum, and then by the end, it's just wild.
0: For a goofy slapstick film, they still add enough detail to these characters where you're not just waiting for the next scene to start. There's some um, lost in translation, flirty business that occurs. There, uh, They go along together to the zoo and Lionel has a vision as he's staring into the water, which that must be rough for him. It seems like anytime he's near water, it's uh, it's gonna be an issue, but it's of his father Drowning when
2: he was a little
0: boy. Do
2: you do you think he sees that anytime he, he takes like he takes a shit, yeah. <laughs>
0: <He's> <laughs> like sits down, like he, down. he like sits down on
2: the toilet and toilet's flushing, and triggered. then he has got like gets triggered and has a flashback. That's a, I think he just does it in
0: in bags. I don't think he can use the toilet. <laughs> oh, you're right.
2: Yeah, he probably shits in bags.
0: <laughs> but while they're at the zoo, they see. What we saw in the beginning of the film the Sumatran rat monkey the the way they introduce
1: it is great too, like oh yes, they have uh the the normal monkeys like throwing apple cores. At Paquita, and she throws it back, and suddenly the Sumatran Sumatran rat monkey like grabs one of the
2: monkeys and, and just, like,
0: like a massive no, it slap. punches it. He yeah. like it like
2: punches the monkey and kills it, and then like rips its arm off and starts eating it. Yeah, and uh, which is all done in uh, stop motion. the The Sumatran rat monkey is stop motion, which is. Uh, always dated, but I find incredibly entertaining. It's part I, of the charm for yeah, me. I yes. it and it's really like the only part in the movie where there is stop motion for the most part. Everything else is like makeup and like and you get puppet puppets. And puppets.
0: You get a little bit later on, I think. I w- While they're at the zoo, the mother is on their tail watching closely to see what they're doing and... While she is leaned up against a cage, she is bitten by the Sumatran rat monkey, and then that night, she begins to go through a horrible change, and her body starts to decay, and she turns into what could be best described as a zombie? Yeah. These are certainly different from... Zombies and like the Romero movies or things of that nature. They're, yeah, but they're definitely they're closer zombies. to like Return of the Living Dead. They got uh, a bit of sentience. They're just uh, they're still they hunger for human flesh. All that good stuff, good yes. zombie action.
2: The, this mother character is very uh, psycho esque, and I I mean that is in like reference to the movie Psycho. <laughs> like she's like uh, she's like Norman Bates's you know overbearing mother. Um, who uses guilt-tripping to, like, keep her son totally under her control. And that's the funniest shit in the movie, too, is that once she starts becoming a zombie, Lionel still feels this need to take care of her. And even though she keeps, like, doing these horrible things... And she's decaying and falling apart. He's still trying to, like, take care of his mom and keep the situation under control. Even after she's been declared dead and they have her funeral and everything.
0: In the first scene we see of the mother, after this bite has begun to take hold of her, she is visited by this, uh, this lead, the WLWL. It's called, I forgot what it stands for. The
1: Wellington...
2: Wellington Ladies Welfare Le- league. league, something like that. Yeah, well, it should be mentioned that uh, Lionel's mother is extremely rich. They live in this, like, big mansion on a hill and are part of, like, high society. So these people who come to visit are, you know, very, uh, very proper and snooty and uptight
0: During this scene, after they have their dinner, and she's struggling the entire way through, stuttering her words, shaking her plate, she grabs a piece
2: of steak off of one of the other woman's plates. (laughs) And just starts tearing into it. And then her ear falls off into her bowl of custard. Yes,
0: that's right, because custard is brought over and... While she is picking at her wound, a bunch of pus and blood shoot out into another bowl of custard, and the guy, ugh, it's it's a very nasty It's gross.
1: This is, like, truly the beginning of the gross-out
2: parts of the movie. And I think this may be the grossest movie I've ever seen. Yes, it is. In the best way. I love it, but it's so gross. It
0: builds up. Which is a nice thing, but once it gets to the end, it goes balls to the wall.
2: On the subject of how gross and gory this movie is, um, Eli Roth uh, says that this is the only film that's been able to satisfy his bloodlust.
0: Good good for Eli Roth. He needs something <laughs> just to, to relax himself sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, It's no, the I, only thing he could jerk off to. He says it's his, his favorite horror com- comedy and the only movie that it reaches the level of goriness that he is really looking for. But so the
0: mother uh, is deteriorating, getting worse. As we mentioned, she. Finally collapses, and they call the nurse over, and the, the nurse, not a very good nurse, she goes up to the body and looks at it, doesn't do anything, turns over to
2: Lionel and says, Your mother's dead. <laughs> well, yeah, she, like, her the mother's, like, seizing on the floor, and then she, like, dies, and the nurse just, like, touches her neck real quick. She's like, Your mother's dead. No attempt to resuscitate, no CPR, and then, of course, gets the fuck bit out of her by the zombie mom.
0: Yes, and uh, her head is torn almost entirely off. It's just dangling from the back, and so this nurse uh, becomes a zombie and stays for the remainder of this film as well. There's a there's a delightful cast of zombies that we have. Yeah, um, th- that's what I like
2: about this movie, movie, too, is that there's, like, you, you bring up a good point, is that the zombies are still, like, characters. They're never, like, just zombies you know like they still have sort of their own personalities a little bit the mom is like the first and then the nurse and then it just keeps adding to this like wacky over-the-top cast of zombie characters as it goes on because
0: once the uh the mother escapes the house once he's trying to keep them contained and she gets hit by a trolley (laughs) and slams (laughs) through the window of the shop that paquita works at as paquita and lionel are talking to each other And I believe at that point is when they have a funeral for the mother and and that's when after the mother is buried he goes to dig her up so he can still give her heat. he he gets sedatives from this very strange man who is implied to be a nazi
2: a nazi, yeah. a nazi veterinarian yeah who keeps giving
0: like gives him tranquilizers. Him tranquilizers
2: well i think i don't think he keeps giving him i think he just gives him that massive huge bottle jug. that huge jug of tranquilizer that just says tranquilizer <laughs> on it And, yeah, Lionel keeps, like, taking this big syringe and injecting the tranquilizer, like, up his mom's nose. And that'll, like, knock her out and sedate her for a little while. Well, while he is trying to
0: dig her up, he is attacked by a mob of New Zealand ruffians. What
2: are they doing in the graveyard? Getting drunk. True goth shit. (laughs) Getting drunk (laughs) in the cemetery. And, And they try to, like, rob him and start, like, pissing on his mom's grave. Right, it's like they they try and call him a
0: sicko for digging up the bodies, and they're like, but they're I'll the ones
2: hanging them. out, getting drunk in a
0: graveyard. What sort of cliche is that? When did kids ever want to hang out in cemeteries? Why was that ever a thing that seemed to be a part of like horror movies? And I don't pop know, culture? man.
2: I don't know. I wouldn't enjoy it. I guess I did do my fair share of late-night cemetery exploration uh, when I was a kid. But Piss on any graves? Uh, no. Dig up any no, bodies? No, 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 Much too superstitious Lame. for pissing on graves. But uh, as, the, as the, the leader of these ruffians is pissing on Lionel's mother's grave, his mother reaches up through the ground and grabs him by the dick. And just like eviscerates him, starts
0: dest- yeah. demolishing the motherfucker, and he becomes one of the next zombies that becomes part of that whole troop of of monsters. And the priest who we see earlier in the film hears this ruckus, runs out. He turns out to be one of the best characters. He's in my his favorite movie.
2: character in yes. this movie. The priest is the best. He's a Kung Fu he also priest. has the uh, greatest line in yes. the movie by oh, yes. far. Oh god. I kick ass for the lord <laughs> <laughs> He just starts like Kung fu fighting all of these Zombies in the graveyard Massive kicks just he, Yeah he oh my god he's so good He's like fucking Bruce Lee He like rips one of their arms off Both of them one by one after he like kicks them in the face in the multiple face times. multiple times it, there's many great scenes in this movie but i think the priest fighting the zombies in the graveyard is my favorite scene he
0: literally sweeps the legs off of one of these zombies it's, it's fantastic it's-
2: the most excellent shit. Unfortunately, he does end up being killed shortly thereafter. What he gets like thrown onto like a statue, yes, that's which like pointed that's like stomach. pointing up, and it like pierces through his his guts. But he gets bit and before him. then, so he that's right. Also yeah, he does becomes, get bit. He becomes another addition
0: to this whole group that Lionel keeps within his home trying to feed <laughs> them, trying to paint, feeding feeding them
2: custard <laughs> and like, custard and like scrambled eggs and shit <laughs> and that's one of the really gross scenes too when like he's trying to feed the nurse and her head keeps falling he's back off. So yeah. he just starts like shoveling eggs like down her open throat <laughs> hole. Honestly, that's probably the grossest part of
1: the movie. For I think me. so. Yeah, It's when nasty. when she's he's trying to feed the nurse, and you just see it coming out of her neck like yeah. slime. Uh,
0: and Ooh, but man. and then that is when the uncle, his uncle, I believe, who yes, is shown to just be this very. Very pudgy, sort of asshole character. He's, Nasty, pervert, he's sort of feeling all Greasy up, uh, looking at Paquita. and
2: Definitely very Harvey Weinstein. Yes, yeah, Weinstein-esque. <laughs> very Weinstein-esque. Fat, gross looking, greasy, sexual predator. He hits all the major check marks.
0: And while he's at Lionel's home talking to him about how he was supposed to get inherit the house.
2: He's trying to bully Lionel out of his inheritance, Yeah, he's one of those.
0: He's, he's looking for the money, that estate. And this provides a distraction uh, for the zombies, the nurse and the priest, to bang. And they bang for uh, just like a couple minutes, but then uh, the woman immediately gets pregnant.
2: Yeah, and, and like an hour later has a zombie baby. Yes, which yeah. gives
0: birth to my favorite character and one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Well, we should also
1: also mention that uh, the gross Harvey Weinstein uncle overhears the banging and thinks it's like a donkey porn
2: stag film. Yeah, and like, he's tried He's like, he's like, oh, let me, let me see. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. So
1: this is the great one with the the the, the whore donkey and the, and donkey. the chambermaid. Yeah, the, donkey the donkey and the, and the chambermaid. chambermaid.
2: That's right. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about the, the yes. scene where Lionel takes the bit- yes, zombie baby to the park? <laughs> yes, which for,
0: I, I, I don't need a real explanation for why he would want to take this baby out to the park, but it provides for a great scenario where the baby is behind his barbed wire in this crib, and he has a toy in front of the baby, which the baby grabs onto, starts tearing it apart, and he ends up letting go of the carriage, and it starts wheeling down this hill. The baby looks... Very gross. Yes. I'll have to say too. I, I I can't. It it's like a baby sloth, basically. You know, sloth from the goonies. from the Goonies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just in in child form, probably just like a midget midget in a suit. Uh, right? At times, yes. Yeah, no. At, at, at times, at it's, times it's, at times it's time very it's obvious. Puppet.
2: Most of the time, it's a puppet. Other
0: times, it is just like a small man running around. in yes. a mask. which, hey, you know, we gotta gotta get work somehow. That begins this whole scene where Lionel is trying to rally the baby up, trying to stop it from running up to, like, little kids and just uh, attacking these people... And Lionel grabs him and starts swinging him around by the feet and starts giving him, like, wrestling moves, slapping him down. Banging him into playground playground (laughs) equipment, (laughs) punching him in the face. There's this homeless man watching, and he's going like, yeah!
2: Yeah! (laughs) 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 Homeless man, I forgot about him. That was fucking hilarious.
0: And he gets knocked down. He's by a swing. The baby starts crawling over to him. He pulls the swing back and slaps right into the baby's face. There are these mothers watching in a horror as he's trying to stuff the baby into his bag and
2: Yeah, he just ends up putting it in like a satchel and carrying it away. Just fantastic. No real rhyme or reason. It's just... And in perfect perfect, slapstick punctuation, once he gets the baby into the satchel, he makes eye contact with the, with the like horrified mothers, and his only explanation is just hyperactive. Yes,
0: <laughs> great little joke to sprinkle so on. So
2: funny, dude! Oh, okay. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson knows his fucking slapstick. Peter Jackson has like studied his fucking like Marx Brothers and Three (laughs) Stooges and shit. Yeah, and it really comes out the most in this movie. Yes, so many times. There's plenty of of it. There's plenty of it in bad taste, but this is like the fucking piece de resistance of gory slapstick humor. I think it should be mentioned that fucking the actor who plays Lionel looks like the love child of charlotte copley and tim roth
0: yes it's very uncanny when he returns home the uncle has discovered the basement where he's keeping all the bodies Uh and since they're all sedated he doesn't know that they're uh zombies he He just thinks it's a bunch of stiffs that lionel's digging up he's gone mad and he tells him, you give me the estate. He calls the police, and he's already on the phone, and he says, I'd like to report a multiple murder, and then hangs
2: up. He's sort of, <laughs> he's played his hand a little too much. The police will be asking questions. Yes, definitely. Uh, but yeah, he tells Lionel that, that Lionel will give him all of the money and the estate, and uh, then he won't tell the cops about the, the corpses that he has in his basement. And so Lionel agrees, and immediately the uncle invites over, like, well over a hundred people yes, for, like, a housewarming party. A giant,
0: massive party, which looks like a 50s swing, like, everyone is dressed super
2: old school. Apparently, right. and it's never said in anywhere in the movie, but this movie is supposed to take place in the 50s. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I guess
2: that kinda makes sense. It, it does. A, it does. Thinking right. back on it, it definitely does make sense, but they never say that at any point in the movie. Yeah. But it, it explains a lot in terms of like costume and the fucking uh Nazi veterinarian right, and yeah. the like old timey radio that they're always listening to and, and this true, and true. this the swing party.
0: This is the point in the film when it goes balls to the wall. Yeah. Yes. The From zombies, here to the
2: end. Lionel
0: tries to put down the zombies, but accidentally gives them a stimulant. An is, animal
2: stimulant. Yeah, animal yeah.
0: stimulant. Not for human consumption. And they come out stronger than ever and they start tearing through this party, ripping people apart. One woman gets an arm shot, uh, ripped directly through the back of her head. Yeah, like punched yeah. through
2: her head, and the arm comes out. Like, the, the gore in this movie is like, it's very creative, too. Like,. Yeah. He, Right, it's, it's not, not just people getting bit in the neck, it's not and like just having just torn. having their limbs pulled off. Like the guy who tries to come through like the dumb waiter and gets like all of the flesh pulled off, like the bottom <laughs> yes, half of his, his body. Little, little and he slim slim just has the little, <laughs> the little skeleton legs
0: poking out left. Like And the the first guy who gets killed his ribcage just his rib cage gets pulled out. Yes, oh, Or like the everybody. guy who
1: gets his face pulled off and oh, you just yes. see the
2: the muscle under his skin. Skin. I think the party is actually a really smart setup for this final scene. It's a good way to get a lot of people into one place so you can have just like this massive like zombie infestation all in one location. You know, I, I think it's
0: infestation.
2: All in one, one location. location. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I really like that. It doesn't it doesn't feel too contrived or anything. It's not just like, oh, Now the whole town is infested with zombies. It's, like, just this party. It's, like, a zombie party. If you, like, pass out when you see blood or something, oh (laughs) this is not the right movie. Well, if you pass out when you see blood, you're probably not listening to our horror movie podcast. (laughs) So, would you say this, like, party scene is probably, what, like, the last 30 minutes of the movie? Like, it takes up, like, once the zombies take over the party, like... It takes up a good chunk of the movie. I'd say
0: that's about right, because you still have... It's then not just about Lionel. It's uh, You got the uncle who's still trying to fight off zombies, because, of course, he's at the party. Piquita was there as well, because she wanted to try and talk to Lionel, because she wants to keep trying to reach out to him as he's sort of gone crazy, trying to keep all these zombies in his basement. It, it just provides for different scenarios for each one to try and roll through... Lionel learns the terrible secret as he's up in the attic, being chased by an intestine monster. (laughs) Yes,
2: one zombie who keeps getting uh, dismembered piece by piece and continues to chase him. The punk zombie. The the punk zombie. Yeah, his his guts come out at some point and they take on a life of their own, and it's just this. Which happens a couple
0: times. Like their like his legs also move on their own. Just a lot of body parts just sort of acting by themselves. My favorite
1: part of the intestine monster is once he, like, gets out of the body he like looks in the mirror and <laughs> yeah,
2: starts, like, yeah. starts like
0: glamour posing like preening <laughs> he's a very cute very cute
2: intestine yeah it is, it, yeah for <laughs> for a pile of guts intestines and lungs <laughs> and spinal cord it, it's kind of, he's kind of cute cute but because cool, he he's got he's got a little face he's got a little yes, face yeah. A little, 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 eyes, looking little, thing, yeah. little mouth which i'm pretty
0: sure is the butthole so. M- might be yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Lionel finds a chest up uh, in the attic filled with photos of his father with this blonde woman who is not his mother. And so we discover that the mother actually murdered the father and this woman.
2: Who's, um, whose skeleton is also skeleton, in the yeah, chest. She's kept in that chest. He's repressed it because right, that's, he, he once he sees that then he has a flashback of being a little boy and sitting there watching his mother, like, drown these people. And he's just totally repressed it.
0: And that is when he turns on his mother. Because throughout most of the movie, he's trying to protect his mother as she's turning into this creature. But this is the, the point when he has that that sense of vengeance again. Right,
2: this is when he really snaps. And that's when he grabs the lawnmower... And we get to maybe one of the most famous scenes in horror movies in general. I think any connoisseur of horror knows the Dead Alive lawnmower scene.
0: Yes, which is just a a moment where the blood squirts and splurts everywhere on screen. There's not a place in that house that isn't covered in this... Well, it looks like tomato paste. It's its very thick. I read like a that, bunch of chili.
2: <laughs> I read that during that scene where he's just cutting through all of these zombies with the lawnmower, they were pumping fake blood at a rate of five gallons per second.
0: Jesus, that is five a Five gallons, lot. gallons so per much. second.
2: That's a ton. Yeah, and... I think the scene ends perfectly, too, when the lawnmower finally stops working and the zombies are coming from him and he's trying to run away and he just keeps slipping on the blood. So he's like running in place and the zombies are just getting closer no, think, and closer. does that
0: happen before?
1: Yeah, it oh. does. Or
2: is that before?
1: Yeah, it's before. Yeah, because when... afterwards the lawnmower stops working and, and the, so the punk around. zombie comes using his arms to move to move his, his legs. legs. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, yeah, and no, I guess you're right. That's before,
1: over, and uh, the punk zombie lands on the lawnmower, like the blade of the lawnmower, like his upper the yeah. upper part of his body, and he can't get the lawnmower started. Lionel can't. And he keeps pulling at it, and eventually it starts, and you just see the guy start spinning Spinning on the lawnmower.
2: That's right, that's right. Okay, yeah, the the running in place on blood was before that, but that part makes me laugh a lot like it's just very slapstick. again one of those like super slapstick moments He's just running in place it's like a cartoon or something yeah and if that if
0: that scene and that whole uh event in the film with the party and the zombies wasn't enough we finally see the mother's final form because she has not emerged yet with all the other zombies well you have the the uncle uncle chasing around the the baby yeah he keeps getting hit in the nuts (laughs) like
1: constantly only by the baby too like he (laughs) kills dozens of other zombies without even thinking twice
2: i think i read that the the final count is in that last scene he gets hit in the nuts like five separate times wow nice uh which is very funny it shouldn't be as funny as it is like getting hit in the balls is such like a cheap joke but at the same time it's still so funny yeah. But
0: he chases the baby down into the basement, and while he's there, we see the mother, and she is turned into a a massive creature, probably like 10 feet tall or something like that. Like a
2: giant, like a real sick lady. Oh, yes, very thick. Another
0: one of the uh, practical creatures that they created. It it lumbers around, and it has a massive ass. And giant. Giant ass, giant tip. It's, it's, it's very gross. The, the thickest zombie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's impressive. It's great just after all of those those zombies and all the gore from that. And then you end with this giant, massive puppet that yeah, it's, towers it's over like, everything
2: else. I, I wonder exactly how they did it because it is very big. It's too big to be solely puppetry. I think it has to also be animatronic. In some way. I think they used some claymation and modeling as well. Did they? It doesn't look like it, but I guess you might be right. And it, it provides for a last final
0: conflict between Lionel as he confronts his mother with the truth that she murdered his dad and has manipulated him all his life he ends up getting caught in her her belly almost like him returning back into well
2: yeah her her lower body like opens, opens up like up a, like mouth, a mouth and like sucks him back into her womb and then he has his symbolic moment of rebirth, rebirth as, he as he hacks through. hacks his way out with this uh giant amulet that Paquita's uh grandmother gave him that's supposed to like protect him or whatever. He's oh. reborn, yes. so to say. Very very symbolic. And I... she collapses back
0: into the house, gets destroyed in a giant ball of fire as yes. she falls in. The the flames plume up. It's a wonderful uh visual, this the house on fire as they, they slide down on a little zipline to safety.
2: Yeah, and then uh Paquita and Lionel walk off into the they, sunset. They walk... basically. Well, it's, it's I mean nighttime. it's nighttime. <laughs> Meta, metaphorically. Walk or, off uh, into the fig- Figuratively, excuse me, they walk yes. off into the sunset. Um, and the credits start to roll. This
0: uh, has to be one of, just one of my favorite uh, films that, I, I remember watching this when I was a little kid, and I've loved it ever since. It's ever really,
2: since- it's really so excellent. It's yeah. been, I, re-watching it was great, because it's been years since I've seen it before this, and... Uh, Man, it it just hits so many high points. I will honestly say my one real problem with it is I honestly don't find Paquita's character that necessary. No, I, she's
0: just she's just a very like bubbly uh, of romantic interest in the film. But I mean, I guess, just...
2: but I don't feel like the whole romance angle. Really has much to do with the rest of the movie yes. aside from just showing that like Lionel's mother is unwilling to let him be happy with another woman because it's she's just so, uh, so controlling, controlling yeah. it's just and like possessive. Some silly For character that reason, stuff, it didn't really bother me. I, I I mean, it worked with I suppose the so. Development. I it's not like it's not terrible but it just like the the scenes with Lionel and Paquita when we're getting that those little like romance scenes like just it's not bad it just doesn't do anything for me you know and it's not so much a complaint as it is just uh one of the
0: weaker moments it's, yeah it's movie. just
2: that's i i just don't care you know i want to get back to the the you know, over-the-top, gory, slapstick humor. Like, that's right. what that's what this movie does so well, and that's what I want. So, for that reason, I guess let's jump into yeah, ratings. Yeah, let's just jump into a rating. Um, like for, the- <laughs> so, for that reason, I will give this a 4.5 out of 5. Um, I think it's just for those few moments of uh, love interest that I just don't really care about too much, that I'd take away half a star for that. Otherwise, it would be... Uh, A pretty perfect film, in my opinion. Uh, That
0: was not an issue for me. I think this is a fantastic time. This is a great movie. And for me, I'm going to have to give it a five. All right. I'm going to give
1: it a five, too. I think this is the perfect balance between slapstick and gore. I think it's a horror comedy, but it's not an in-your-face comedy like you get sometimes. Super quotable. Your mother ate my dog. I kick ass for the Lord. (laughs) Um, Just quote after quote, just so many great moments. The zombie baby is a really real standout. The only slight part that doesn't work for me is there's a slight drag uh, when he's putting all the zombies down in the basement. um, When he's giving them poison.
0: That's just like a short two minutes. Yeah, and it's
1: just a couple minutes. It doesn't even... Pose that much of a problem? It's still a perfect horror comedy for me. Uh, it's yes. great.
2: It's great. My don't get me wrong. I really still enjoy this movie greatly. Just because I took off half a half a pod for the couple of little things that didn't work for me. Like this is still a great fucking time. I will never not love watching this movie, hands down. Truly a Fabulous. wonderful
0: splatter film. In terms of and
2: pure entertainment, yes, too, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I think it's the peak of Peter oh, Jackson. Yeah,
2: yes, uh, the, he hits his schlockiest tights, and it's excellent.
1: All right, let's uh, talk about The Frighteners next. Oh, uh,
0: this was made after Peter Jackson did Heavenly Creatures, which I guess is one of the films that really put him on the map. He was nominated... Or an Academy Award, screenwriting. Which I have not seen. Much more serious. Certainly compared to Dead Alive or Bad Taste. Yeah, but The Frighteners is
1: all about uh, Michael J. Fox. He plays a medium named Frank Bannister who can talk to uh, apparitions that haven't gone to the other side yet. He works with a couple apparitions um, to con people into paying him to remove the ghost from their house. And he realizes that this sort of Grim Reaper ghost is killing people one after another. And so he goes out to try to solve who the Grim Reaper character is and try to stop the the ghost from killing more. This movie, uh, made in 1996... So uh I should emphasize very early CG uh, yes, this- is used in this movie
0: this is a departure from a lot of the practical puppetry or stop-motion effects from his earlier films. The stuff
2: it. that makes his earlier yes, films big, so great. This big-budget
0: Peter Jackson now. We've moved on. This was produced by Robert Zemeckis.
2: Which is, a for me, a very weird uh, team-up.
0: Yes, there seem to be things that clash within this, and ooh, it's... Uh, I think that's a we're we're a bit divisive on that one. Cause... Yeah, this
2: is for sure our our most contentious one because uh, Eugene and I definitely feel one way about this movie, and Ben feels a different way. Look, it's a fun movie. Like you can't <laughs> deny that we had fun watching. Yes, this Yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did. But I think that that's because there were five of us sitting in a room. Just Doesn't that absolute... make it successful though? We weren't laughing at. The intended jokes in the movie. We were laughing because it's so bad. That and is good. I, mm, I <laughs> <laughs> It's this. I think. I think. In order to get enjoyment out of this movie, uh, you have to be one of two things or a combination of the two. Uh, one, drunk, or B with a bunch of your friends or drunk and with a bunch of your friends. I, I did enjoy our experience watching this movie, but if I had to sit and watch it by myself with nobody around to listen to my witty criticisms (laughs) and listen to the witty criticisms of others, I don't think, I think I would have had a hard time sitting through this movie. It's such schlock. That it's successful,
1: in my opinion, because it's so funny. And, you know, even if you're not watching it alone, and that's the only reason it becomes good, that doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, there's plenty (sighs) of—look at most action movies— most fun action movies are not nearly as good if you watch them alone if you watch them with groups or drunk well yeah that's that's why this kind of falls into that same territory that's why i only
2: watch those movies with people or drunk yeah that doesn't make those movies
1: bad though
0: well here's the the problem that lies with the film for me is that with bad taste and dead alive they were still pretty low budget movies and so there's this earnest quality to him. It's the same thing. And very self-aware.
2: That, this movie did not feel as much self-aware as those uh, as the last two we've talked about. It's the
0: same difference between, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned, Killing and Killing 3, where it seems, well, with this, it's the Hollywood influence that really seems to damage it because it could have gone further. Michael J. Fox being a con man who can actually talk to spirits is something that they don't dive into very much because they're also tackling this... Spirit killing people, him trying to solve that, and it doesn't find a great middle ground between the absurdity of. Because these ghost characters are also really damn goofy. They are the comic relief to Michael J. Fox's character.
1: They introduce Michael J. Fox's character where he's driving drunk like a piece of shit, almost drives straight into a Mack truck, pulls away at the last second, and just
2: drives into this dude's, like, Lawn was. Are we sure he was drunk though? Because at that time, yes, it seems like he's drunk. But throughout the rest of the movie, even when he's not drunk, he's still the worst driver on the face of the planet. <laughs> he just seems like a bad. Which uh, uh, a
0: thing about his character. He can see spirits because he got into a car accident with his wife. Which. If you're gonna make your character drive very poorly throughout the rest of the movie, don't make that the main reason for his tragedy because then it feels like he well, deserved it. Or I mean, it makes it sense. He did crash.
2: He did deserve you know? it. Well, yeah, but then then they try to imply it's because he was drunk. But I think it's just because he was a fucking shittiest driver. <laughs>
1: He's constantly drunk, though. Actually, it's probably just his Parkinson's.
2: We never uh, we never see <laughs> we never see him drinking in this movie at all. So. If he is drunk all, all the time, then he's j- just getting plastered off camera. Let's talk about the apparition sidekick. So you have this <sighs> 70s
1: black guy apparition who's super stereotypical, has an Afro uh, toxin, kind of jivier uh, African-American has the, the vernacular. Big,
2: the big uh, peace sign uh, chain. Which I for the giant yeah. peace sign necklace. I
0: forget how they explain the reason behind why they help Michael J.
2: Fox out. They they never do. Yeah, they don't really explain it. For for, for some kicks, for some know? reason they're helping him con people out of uh, lots of money, even though they don't get anything out of it. They don't really explain that. No. I mean Plot hole number one. Yeah. I oh, yes, of
0: many,
1: many of <laughs> I the mean fewer dead, it's either just stick around at the graveyard
2: Wasting away, I guess, boredom. Maybe or uh, maybe they just do messing it for with fun. people. Yeah, it's probably just for fun. These ghosts look very bad too. They're just like transparent and and blue. <laughs> that that's that's it. It's <laughs> so funny that's to how me, you know though. they're ghosts. Oh my
1: god. Well, you know, like you guys hate the CGI. It's so it bad. It's bad, and that's why it's hilarious to me. It just because it's dated so poorly that it just becomes so funny to me well
0: i think there is that issue between the effects in in his earlier films those are all poorly made in a way but that they work and they work in the context of the yeah they seem to add to the comedy but when you look at cgi in these older films it's it's a different sort of 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 feeling i think one thing is because the amount of effort that goes into creating that it requires so many hours and a lot of time working at a computer whereas with a puppet you have it physically there you're playing around with it it doesn't have that same amount of energy as looking at something uh, yeah goofy, like, a goofy the CG puppet feels to a more CG.
2: cartoonish I which see, i think is a good thing i understand your attraction to it and why you find it funny but for me, personally, it has the opposite effect. It takes me out of the movie. You're never really invested not in, in the movie. Not in this movie. Not in this, movie, know, in not that in this movie. That's you know, for damn it's, sure. It's
1: campy in the way that you know, you're know you kind of looking at at it from outside the whole time.
2: I don't know. It's It just feels so disjointed to me and so inconsistent. Sort of like Eugene mentioned, it feels like three or four different movies all rolled badly rolled into one. I never feel like they're taking
1: themselves too seriously, though, at I, any point.
2: I feel like they're taking themselves more
1: seriously than... Uh, what point do you think they were taking themselves seriously during? Because I think... Every element is over-the-top and schlocky and campy in a good way. I, I would say the serial killer stuff is the closest they get to straight lace, but even that is silly. You have fucking Jake Busey, who looks yeah. exactly like his brother, as the serial killer, just over-the-top, like, killing people, the, the trying stuff, to get
2: high scores. The stuff with the the doctor love interest and, like, investigating like the daughter who was of of the old woman who was like dating the serial killer be- before he was put to death all of that shit feels like it takes itself seriously well what uh, problem? the the love the love interest between Michael J Fox and the doctor character who I I need to look up her name I don't just That want was to keep funny to me to because you know he he first gets introduced
1: to her because it's the wife of the guy who he drives into his lawn and the guy's super pissed off so he's like you can bill me and then he just uh gets the ghost to terrorize their house so he can Uh, not have to pay for fixing their
2: lawn. And that stuff's fine. And like when the husband dies and then Michael J. Fox and uh, Trini Alvarado, that's her name, go out to dinner and the husband is there and Michael J. Fox is like communicating or he's like, providing the the mediation between the two of them and then he just starts cucking the the ghost guy. Like that stuff's okay. I don't buy Trini Alvarado's infatuation with Michael J. Fox. Oh, this movie takes place over the course of what, like several days? And the only thing she knows him from is conning her out of several hundred dollars.
1: (laughs) Well, I I think think think
2: she was interested because she,
1: she saw the video about the numbers on the head. And Michael J. Fox mentioned something about seeing a number on her husband's head. Yeah. I And that was the connection. So she was intrigued to
2: continue investigating with but him. But that shouldn't be a reason and I bought why that. she that was likes... Fine.
0: Why would she like Michael J. Fox over there?
2: Well yeah, and that's that's the thing too that pissed me off about it, is they by the end they try to make Michael J. Fox a sympathetic character and he's just not. No, his character not his character is just the scummiest. He's just so terrible. If they want to make him be terrible, fine. But embrace that shit. Don't make me try to care about this fucking Con man who does not, who never learned how to drive, <laughs> and who just spends the entire movie causing massive amounts of damage th- throughout his little seaside. See, I town. think that's why it works though, because they celebrate that he's such a shitty
1: person. I, you it know, just doesn't if they made him me. unlikable, that would be awful. You think if they made no, him sympathetic? No, they did make him unlikable.
2: Well, he's terrible. Yeah, I, then how is he sympathetic? Because they try to make him sympathetic, but he is unlikable. That's the thing. They celebrate how terrible he is,
1: but, you know, the sympathy is because, you know, you've gotten to the point in the movie where you're just embracing how terrible he is.
0: Well, that's not the point. It's not like he gets worse as the movie goes. He's just sort of a bad person who never has a redeeming moment. And yeah, so that's, when that's, you hit they, the nail on the head. When they get to that point, because uh, at some point in the film, he realizes the only way he can try and fight this spirit is to die for a little bit.
1: There's no redeeming moments in how he's trying to stop the Jake Busey character from killing dozens more people. Well, I don't no, because think so. There's
0: that, that problem where, again, it's it's not that things might that's be taken in service too of the seriously. plot. It's that
1: I mean everything in a movie is fucking in service of the plot. That's not though. true. That's absolutely not it true. It just feels like some it's...
2: things are in service of character development. Some things are in service of plot development. He tries to stop the the ghost of the serial killer because that's what the plot needs him to do, not because that has something to do with. I his think character. it works for both though. I disagree.
0: Because their way of trying to make you care is that you find out the ghost killed his wife in that car accident. And so he has that sense of... <laughs> he was also
1: driving to... like a piece of shit. Yeah. Right.
0: And... But we see that it what, that wasn't the thing that killed the wife. It was the the spirit going after them. So...
1: Yeah, so they he had his and, own
0: motivation, right? But it's it's know? weak motivation. It's not. And my feeling is not that things are taken too seriously. It's that things are just done poorly, and I don't feel like anything truly has enough of an effect for me to call it funny. Or it's too, incon- to... it's
2: too inconsistent.
0: See, so what... what I don't understand is,
1: you, you know, you guys say it's not funny, yet we laughed at this movie more than we did at Bad
0: Taste. Well, because this is something I was trying to explain with Matisse earlier after we w- had watched the films, is that with Dead Alive and Bad Taste, I could have a great time watching those movies, and I don't feel like I'm laughing... At the film, I'm not laughing at any poor choices, any poor decision making. I'm not, not, not like the room where that's funny because of all the poor choices that went into it. That's a whole different level. With this, I don't enjoy the mistakes that they made, and I feel like the only reason we laughed was because of all the mistakes, rather than anything. I wouldn't,
2: I wouldn't have laughed at most of that stuff if I had been watching it by myself. That's I the, won't. that's the thing it I was, won't call
0: this like a a laborious viewing experience. I mean, no, it certainly would be a lot harder to sit through if
2: we were watching it if I was watching it on my own, but it was it was the sense of camaraderie that we had that made it entertaining for me. I genuinely believe that if I didn't watch it in the setting I did. I don't think I would have laughed at all. That's I don't why think I it's would have
1: arguably at all. a perfect midnight movie, though. It's yeah. because it works with
0: crowds.
1: you think at a theater with a bunch of other people it would be a bad movie? No, it'd be awesome because you have that camaraderie. And no, that's why you can't, it's effective. Because
2: you, you shouldn't talk in a theater while you're I know, but movie, you're all but...
1: laughing at the ridiculousness
2: of uh, maybe. the schlocky, over-the-top elements. If... If we want to talk about sh- the the schlocky over the top stuff that did work in this movie, let's talk about Jeffrey Combs' character because he was by far the highlight. Yeah, his character he's, is amazing. He's the best, and I and I think I know why too. My big problem with this movie is. As I've mentioned before, the inconsistency, and it's because some of it feels very Robert Zemeckis. He was only the executive producer, but his fingerprints are all over it. Some of it feels very Robert Zemeckis comedic. Like Back to the Future and shit, which I get is Roger Rabbit, which, vibes. which is which is great, and Back to the Future is great, and Robert Zemeckis is hit and miss for me. I, I get hate. major uh, Roger Rabbit vibes with a lot of it, though. Right, with the dark so,
1: comedy. So stuff. there's
2: there's some of that, and then every now and then there's like real, true, like early Peter Jackson vibes to it, especially with Jeffrey Combs' character, and the two just. They work fine on their own, but they don't mix. And that's it's that inconsistency that bothers me so much about this movie.
1: See, I kind of disagree, though, because I feel like the Jeffrey Combs character feels kind of like the the bad guy in Roger Rabbit, where he's like an evil Nazi-esque character. And it's very over-the-top and goofy, but it works
2: because it's so cartoonish. I think I... I made more associations with Jeffrey Combs' character as, like, characters in, like, uh, Dead Alive or Bad Taste. I think that if you took that character and put him in one of those movies, he wouldn't feel out of place. And a big part of it is contributed just by him it being played by Jeffrey Combs. Like, he is, like, the embodiment of... Over the top, schlocky horror character. And he does it so, so well. And his eccentric FBI agent in this movie, where he has something about women yelling at him that makes him vomit. And he's like nervous and he doesn't want to enter rooms. And he sort of just like keeps peeking out <laughs> from like behind the door frame when he's talking to people. His facial expressions and everything he does, like that shit. That feels like a character that Peter Jackson wrote. That feels like a character that I recognize as a Peter Jackson character. And when we find out that he's the way he is because he specializes in like infiltrating cults, and so his entire career has been based around spending time with these, like, satanic cults, and, like, he was, like, the Manson family's sex slave for, like, six months, and all of that shit. Like, that, that shit is great. He yeah. is the best part of that movie. His performance, his character, the way he's written, everything. Like, all the Jeffrey Combs stuff in this movie, I am all about. And it gets to a point where he's all I want to see when it cuts away from him and goes to fucking Michael J. Fox and Trini Alvarado or whatever. I'm just like, no, just bring back Jeffrey Combs. He is the best part of the movie. I Don't get me
1: wrong. I totally agree with you there. I, I think having him emphasized much more than he would would kind of take away from the charm of the character because I think it works so well because he doesn't overstay his
2: welcome in the
1: movie. He He's punctuating the movie with these
2: hilarious parts. I guess, but he does such a good job that it makes all of the rest of the parts so lackluster for me. It doesn't even necessarily need to be more of him specifically, but if the rest of the movie would take the same kind of tone as Jeffrey Combs' character, then I think it would be a lot more successful. And also this is kind of off topic. I fucking hate the score of this movie. I hate the music, the Danny movie. Elfman, the story. Danny Elfman and Danny Elfman has his place, but he is, he does so much Mickey mousing in all of his movies. But in this one, if for some reason it was really, really grading for me for something like home alone, it works. Okay. Well,
0: but else, <clears throat> I felt that it, Sort of went along the same lines of the soundtracks and scores in Dead Alive or Bad Taste. I didn't find it too. Yeah, honestly, like
1: I, I feel I, like it emphasized the breakneck pace and the sheer fever dream feel of the movie.
2: That it kind of worked. I think there's. I think there was too much of it, though. There was. It. I mean, there's basically continuous music for the entire film and it got to the point where the few moments of silence where there is no music um like were were noticeable to me because i was so used to this danny elfman mickey Mouseing all the way through the film and then the parts that they did choose to be silent were parts that didn't need to be silent and that it like really it really was like jarring. Granted that happened at one of the funniest moments in the movie, at the end when uh Michael J. Fox goes up to heaven and then is sent back down because it's not his time and the music just cuts out and as he's falling, he's just like whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> just like this relative really? take. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> whoa! Just like <laughs> it's like that's Really? That's the take oh, you decided to use? That was so use? funny, though. Oh, that, I did. That was very, very funny. I will say that is one of the that is one of the moments that I did laugh the hardest because it's so bad. I don't know. I I think maybe I would have liked this movie better if it had gone more over the top, ridiculous. Than I would have been able to laugh at it more. This
1: movie was so over-the-top that it was cartoonish at times, though. And that's why I loved it. You know, maybe... Okay, I'll agree with you that if I watched this alone, maybe it wouldn't be as fun. But I think this is a great midnight movie to watch with friends, yelling at the screen, laughing. It's over-the-top and schlocky and campy, but that's why it works. The Jeffrey Combs character is over-the-top. You know, the ghost characters are arguably, like... The the black one is kind of racist a little, a little bit like how yeah. long shot they, at? They go to Los the,
0: Angeles. Yeah,
1: they go through the jail, and immediately he recognizes the first person in yeah, the cell. Oh, my
2: God. oh, and then like at the point where at the jail, Michael J. Fox and Trini Alvarado like hug, and then he's like he's like, oh man, I don't want to see this. It's like walking in on your parents. <laughs> it's like what? They're just hugging. They are just. hugging hugging that is not at all comparable to walking in on your parents having yeah. sex i that- mean the the dated cg adds to the fun for me Ugh. because
1: like it's so bad that i think at the time it would have taken away from the movie a little bit because it would have made the tone feel weird and how s- serious that felt in comparison to. but the at laugh. that time that but was like right the peak now of cg
2: right no, 96? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Like, like for the time, the CG that they were doing was like... Well, yeah, no, that's yeah, why, yeah.
1: why it would feel bad, because it would feel like good CG mixed with this cartoony tone. Oh, okay, now, I see what you're saying. I nowadays, you're saying. because it's horribly dated and ugly and gross and it's uncanny really valley... It works because it's so funny in how badly dated it is. And it adds to that cartoony feel of the movie and schlockiness to the point where it w- starts working for me.
2: You know, I I hadn't really considered this, but maybe the reason that I had such a hard time enjoying this movie is because we watched it immediately after Dead Alive. Like, no break.
1: Yeah, I mean... Y- it's, it's hard to compare the two. Yeah. It definitely is, because Dead Alive is so out there and over the top in its gore and its slapstick that, you know, it's different vibes. You know, both of them are cartoony, but, but I would totally say they're different in ways. different ways. I think, like I said earlier, I agree that Robert Zemeckis' fingerprints are on this, but I would say it's like Roger Rabbit. Fingerprints. You know, I think it was around the same time he did Roger Rabbit. I think actually.
2: so. I think so. And I was not really thinking about Roger Rabbit when we were watching this, but you are right. And I just think that that clashes with peter jackson's whole thing i have said it before and i'll say it again it's How just so though it's just, because it, peter jackson's early stuff is super
1: cartoony too super slapstick maybe it's because this was what like a pg-13 rated
2: no, it movie. Rated was r. it r but yeah it doesn't have like it doesn't have the same kind of were you missing the gore i was many times i was missing the gore I think that's part of what makes Peter Jackson slapstick in Dead Alive and Bad Taste so good, is that it's cartoony, but it's distinctly set aside from cartoons because of how grotesque and violent and gory it is. I think if there had been more of that in this movie, I might have enjoyed it more. See, I I think... This
1: movie works for me because he distills the cartoony slapstick core of his earlier films and brings it to a mainstream digestibility.
2: That's what I don't like about it. It's too Hollywood. Feels too Hollywood. I I want. More I, I think of... if you took the same
1: source material and gave it to any other director, it would be a disaster. I can't disagree with you on that one. I don't think it's a perfect movie. There's parts of it where it's like, okay, come on. Like that 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 that's just
2: bad. But right, and and it's also too long. It does not need to be 2 hours. I I remember at one point when we paused it last night and Eugene and I both had this moment of, "Oh my god, there's 35 minutes left in this movie?" Yeah. Geez. Like even even as much as I was laughing and enjoying roasting it, like at that point, I thought, surely, like, this is the wrap-up of the movie.
0: Which, I will admit, they still do stuff in that 35 minutes that keep the movie going. It doesn't all just slow down. Both his earlier films, they're pretty short. There's they, they plenty
2: barely... There's plenty of fat that could
1: have been trimmed out of yes. this
2: movie. It
0: still
1: feels like a breakneck pace fever dream, though. I can't think of particular moments where, like, the the craziness insanity goes down and you get a little pause.
2: I think I think there's definitely a lull after uh, Michael J. Fox takes the the ghost guns and uh, shoots up the Grim Reaper, only to discover that it was the ghost of the the serial killer from the town or whatever that was when we paused and were like wait this movie's not almost over because it, it feels like a resolution at that point and there definitely is a lull and i thought like okay this is the wrap up this is the falling action we're going to get the credits and then it does pick up again for the real finale but there's definitely a lull right yeah. there i think there's definitely a lull the ghost logic is
1: super weird to me, Yeah, too. it doesn't make any sense. The ghosts can kill like each other? like, slices one of the ghosts in half. Several Yet, ghosts he uh, kills. When they go into the cemetery, uh, one of the biggest characters, standout performances, too, is... Uh, Arlie Ermy. Ermey, uh, he basically reprises his role as the drill sergeant yes. from Full Metal Jacket. It is he's the gone,
2: same though. character with a different
1: name, it's yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, it's exactly the same, same style too, he's dressed in the same costume. He's wearing much. the same outfit! Yeah, um, but he like shapeshifts, and at a point he has like big uh, machine guns in both hands and is shooting it. People and, like, he doesn't kill anyone with those machine guns.
2: No, but, but then Michael J. Fox takes those machine guns and shoots up the, at the time, we think the Grim Reaper... And yeah, the the ghost logic doesn't make any sense. No. This' just full of plot holes, full of fucking plot holes, which I mean, in a I'm in not a more really serious movie. I would care about that. But. I'm not really looking for plot consistency in this yeah. movie. i am i'm I must shouldn't be say, going
1: into this movie looking for any sort of intelligent plot.
0: Oh, but even then, uh, with his earlier films, and I hate to keep going back to them, but I think they're just still so well constructed. Even with bad taste, the fact that there wasn't a script, why as an audience should we be okay with laziness and no actual effort put into trying to tell a cohesive story? Why should we just have to There's accept plenty this? of plot holes in both Bad Taste and Dead Alive, though. Come
1: on. Like, Dead Alive, for example, the guy who's bringing back the Sumatran rat monkey is killed, Immediately, how does how do they bring this mad rat monkey? Well, because well, he, he has scene yeah,
2: they where they sell the monkey. He has people helping him the the locals who helped him capture it, and they still want their money, so they take it to the okay, airfield. Yeah. And, ship and you it don't back.
0: have any inconsistencies that betray the film. Not like this. It's like with when we find out that the Grim Reaper character is actually Jake Busey. We think he's able to kill the ghosts he murders beforehand because he because has, he's the
2: Grim Reaper, but
0: then he just turns out to be another spirit and they don't really explain why he was able to do it then because we see there's he has an old cowboy ghost that shooting off bullets hits one of his pal ghosts in the head and he's still fine.
2: Yeah, and that's true. So yeah. why
0: why does Jake Busey's ghost end up causing mortal damage to these ghosts?
2: And what happens to a ghost when it's killed? Well, I guess they just they go up to heaven or the other so, side or whatever I, yeah. yeah. Um I want to mention
1: the greatest line in the movie. Uh, okay. It comes from Jeffrey Combs. Um what is it with the the Uzi line? Oh yeah.
0: Uh, fucking Michael J. Fox calls Jeffrey Combs an asshole to which yeah. Jeffrey Combs replies yes, I'm an asshole <laughs> with an Uzi. And he just pulls <laughs> an Uzi out from under his coat. <laughs> Shoots him up in the side and Michael J. Fox survives it. But it's like He gets you know A couple bullets Shot into him Yeah well, He dies
2: And then Well yeah He gets oh, sent yes, back From right. heaven That's when uh, He goes up to see His wife And she's like It's not your time yet And then pushes Go fuck him. other women <laughs> And he's like Whoa Well yeah That's another thing too And I know I brought this up When we were watching it Is Michael J. Fox Knows That his dead wife Is waiting for him In heaven And watching him And still Immediately As soon as he is Brought back to life hey, man. He starts he, fucking he Hall Trina he got the hall pass. From true. His she wife said, thing. "Now it's
0: time to start living." So yeah, he was gonna live. Oh, okay, that's living. the hall. That's yeah. the hall pass. That's the that's hall, the hall pass. pass. All right. Well, do you think we should just move into ratings? Yeah, yeah. I think we we've, we've, yeah. we've explained our positions on this movie enough. For me, the charm of Peter Jackson's earlier films is lost a lot because of this. It feels honestly more like a mediocre Hollywood production to me than it does a Peter Jackson film with an increased budget. A I won't say that it's a movie without any positive qualities because there are fun moments to it. There's stuff to be gained, sure. Yeah, but certainly compared to his other films, it is hard to put it at the top of the list. So for me, I think I'm going to have to give it a two and a half out of five pots.
2: Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, Ben, and I understand your arguments about why it works for you, but for a lot of those reasons, it just doesn't work for me, and I think, Eugene hit the nail on the head, the charm of movies like Bad Taste and Dead Alive is just kind of... It's just lacking. It's just not there. It starts to come back a little bit with Jeffrey Combs, but then it's sort of wrenched away again. And so there is stuff to be gained. And if you watch this with a group of friends or turn it into a drinking game, this would make an excellent drinking game movie. I do truly believe that. Then, yeah, you can probably have a good time with it, but If you're just trying to sit down and relax and watch a movie and just sort of like unwind, I don't think this is really the movie to do it with. So for that reason, I'm going to echo Eugene and say two and a half for me. See,
1: I want to emphasize there's a big difference between an effective movie and a fun movie. I think this movie works for me because it's so silly and so over the top. And, you know, it it's a perfect midnight movie in that, you know, it works much better with groups. There's huge potential for audience interaction with laughing, yelling at the screen, all of that stuff. It's a perfect movie to roast. And sure, it has its lulls and... You know, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it's such a fevered dream of a movie. Jeffrey Combs' character is a perfect example of that. It's one of those times where the dated CGI actually elevates it a little bit for me because it makes it more cartoonish and silly and goofy. I, I think all of the elements of... Michael J. Fox being such a piece of shit work for it in that respect too because he's just a drunken shithead. There's so many elements of this movie that are so funny and you know maybe it wouldn't work if you were like trying to take it seriously and sit down for a a quote-unquote good movie but it is an entertaining movie. It is effective because it's so funny and so I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of five,
2: you know. Alright. Well that gives us an average rating of two point eight. Watch it with your friends yes. when you're drunk. You know, yes. watch it with your friends when you're drunk. That's a great that's maybe the 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 best recommendation you can give for this movie.
1: Yeah, because you'll have a good time watching this movie with friends. I I guarantee that. You Pro- know? probably probably like even if sober with other people you're going to be roasting how bad the cg is right well, we we weren't drunk so the 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 stupid
2: characters michael j fox is awful driving anytime michael j fox is a bad driver take a drink anytime fucking uh the one of the ghost sidekicks does something uh, that could be considered a racial stereotype. Take a drink.
0: Anytime the special effects are so bad, you feel like taking that you have. (laughs) Anytime
2: that the special effects are so bad that you have a visceral, physical reaction to them, which did happen to me a few times, (laughs) then take a drink Then take a drink. Like you can, you could definitely turn this movie into a drinking game. And frankly, I don't know if I would ever watch this movie again Without playing, without playing an accompanying drinking game. Right. All right. Yes. Before we uh, we all... we reiterate ourselves too much, uh, why don't you tell us what our game for this episode is? All right. Has been. So game this game. is a little uh, change of pace.
1: Um, now that Peter Jackson is done with Lord of the Rings, I want you guys to imagine a new horror movie that Peter Jackson can do, preferably either a remake or a reinterpretation of old material. So a pre-existing horror franchise that Peter Jackson takes over, essentially. Yes, yes. The only reason for that is it limits the opportunities for ideas. I want to hear what you think would be the best take on old material that he could do in the vein of, you know, Dead Alive or The Frighteners. I'll give you, like, five or six minutes. Uh, You can figure it out, write a little pitch to yourself, and then I will be uh, the Hollywood executive, and I'll pick the movie that gets greenlit. All right. We will be back. All right, we're back. Uh, Since Eugene won last week's game, I will... Let Matisse choose whether he wants to pitch first or second.
2: Well, I feel like every time I do that I always end up pitching second. So this time I'm gonna pitch first. Alright. Because I had a really brilliant idea, Mr. Weinstein. So, in order to save Universal's Dark Universe, Peter Jackson is going to direct the remake of The Invisible Man. Ooh. Still starring Johnny Depp though. <laughs> <laughs> Because that has comedic potential that I really, really want to be there. And not because Johnny Depp is funny. (laughs) (laughs) Because he is not a funny man. So Johnny Depp plays the Invisible Man. He is Claude Rains. Um, That is his character's name. (laughs) (laughs) He is the invisible man, Claude Rains. But here's the thing about it. He's completely invisible, except for his mustache. (laughs) Oh, boy. His mustache (laughs) is the only thing that is still visible. Pulling a reverse like a Mordecai
1: mustache?
2: It sure is. So imagine, imagine a disembodied Mordecai mustache that speaks with the voice of Jack Sparrow. (laughs) Is he still like a drunken piece of shit? Um, yes, he's a, he's a brilliant drunken scientist who, after an experiment gone wrong, discovers that he is completely invisible except for his bad mustache, uh, because that is the kind of sin that you cannot even hide from God. But a side effect of the invisibility process is that he goes utterly insane. He presents his discovery of turning invisible at like, a conference he's trying to win like the peace prize or some other scientific bullshit but it makes him go crazy and so he starts killing everybody we're talking like the same kind of effects from like dead alive all puppetry all makeup all prosthetics even more fake blood though like think dead alive but like three times as gory And that offers opportunities for so many good moments, because you can just see people getting pulled apart by nothing. Disembodied chainsaws (laughs) with a fucking mustache. It's going to be full of one-liners, too.
1: All right. So I have a couple questions before we move on. Okay, sure. Okay, so first, what would the budget be for this
2: masterpiece? Um... Well, since they're gonna need so many uh puppets and so much fake blood, I'm gonna say we need a budget of at least a hundred million. <laughs> no CG though. I don't want any CG in this movie. Okay. Except for except for maybe the mustache. The mustache might have to be CG, but everything else practical. Alright. A hundred million dollars of invisible effects. of invisible of invisible mustache. Just like how in Watchmen. They spent like seven million dollars uh, digitally rendering Doctor Manhattan's dangly blue penis. Uh, I want them to use at least ten million of the hundred million to uh, digitally render Johnny Depp's bad mustache. What if uh, he also has a mustache over his, his over his penis? penis? No. <laughs> okay, I see what you're getting at. Oh no. See, that's um, at one point he's uh, he's having sex. Uh, so all you see is the mustache and the condom just, uh, on, on, a on an invisible penis. See, that <laughs> offers some really great opportunities and it's not technically nudity. You're right. So we can still give this, uh, an R rating instead of an X you, you, rating. You
1: really beat the censors. I there. really,
2: yeah, see, I... I'm too smart for you. I'm too smart for you, censors. What do you think uh, the runtime would be? Um, you know, I'm thinking keep it to a, a tight 90 minutes, maybe an hour 45, but uh, I don't want it to be too overbloated.
1: Sure, and then uh, finally, the lead protagonist then would be the Invisible Man.
2: Oh I, yes, I presume. Oh yes.
1: Uh, how do you? Trace
2: of course, the, Peter Peter Jackson would make a cameo.
1: How do you trace the Bedlam to the main character? Do you just like sympathize with him, or do you just like follow? Oh no, the he's a
2: he's an antihero. He's oh, okay. a he's an agent of chaos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant. All right, uh, Eugene. What do
0: you have, for okay, me? so this is actually in line two with the dark universe that this would be Peter Jackson's reimagining of Frankenstein <laughs> it would be Frankenstein, a legend reborn in this one it is a modern take where Dr. Frankenstein is down on his luck. And one day he is watching American Idol, and he realizes the best way for him to become successful is to create the most rockingest creature that anyone has ever seen. Oh, and my God. This is going to bring back, bring back a lot of uh, Peter Jackson cast, uh, some good old boys. Sean Astin is going to play Dr. Frankenstein. <gasps> I love it. And uh, Igor is going to be played by Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> And the first part of the movie is going to be them just trying to find body parts. It's going to have some of that nice special effect goriness, them trying to sew together all these miscellaneous parts to create these creature, which is going to be very loosely constructed throughout the rest of the film. And Frankenstein is going to be played by, of course, none other than Elijah Wood, who immediately escapes and ends up killing the doctor. And while he runs away from the castle, he comes across a metal show. And at the metal show, he starts headbanging. His head pops off, and it gets crowd-surfed over to the stage. And the lead singer's like, Hey, let's give this piece of head a little bit of uh, a chance to sing. (laughs) And then he sings. Everyone loves it. It's great. And then he starts to go on tour, the Frankenstein uh, monster. And during this time... Igor works meticulously to bring Elijah, or to bring Sean Aston, back to life, and he eventually resurrects him as well, and he becomes a sort of monster as well. This begins his journey to join a band and to try and, because Frankenstein the monster is on tour right now, so he needs to become a popular band so he can play a set with him, which will bring them into a clash together and will end in a wild battle of the bands where both of them are
2: on drums and they have to battle each other. <laughs> they're, oh, so you're saying they're both percussionists. Yes. They both play the drums.
0: Yes, and they're, they're, they're still doing some singing and stuff. Igor's there, of course. Jack Black, he's going to be singing for, for, uh, for Dr. Frankenstein. At the end of it... Frankenstein's monster wins the competition, which makes Dr. Frankenstein very sad. But as he is about to leave, Frankenstein stops him and brings him on stage, and they stand proud and victorious together in front of the crowd. And the movie ends with a nice little epilogue. They have a family. They're multi-millionaire multi-millionaire record-selling musicians and they can live a very happy life together.
2: So what you're telling me is this sounds like Frankenstein meets Pitch Perfect meets The Crow.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> That's Brilliant. exactly what it is.
1: <laughs> All right, so I have a few questions okay. for you. Right, I'm going to grill it. you a little bit. Uh budget. What
0: Ooh. are you thinking? You know, this one's going to be real stripped down. It's a return to his roots, so I'd say a million at the most. Oh, yes.
1: A single million yes. dollars. Yes, because- and of course, since you have this metal band and a music-centric theme of the movie, you have to have some sort of famous musician writing all the music.
0: Oh yes, that's right. We're gonna get Ramstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: okay, all right.
0: Yeah, but we're gonna send them a very lovely letter, so they're gonna want to like do it for free, and that's gonna be really sweet. Of course, yeah. Well, it, yeah. it'll be a passion project for exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. this is all coming from as all the actors took massive pay cuts as well. This is all just uh, just out of love for PJAX.
2: I thought you were going to say that uh, Trent Reznor is going to do the score for this, but (laughs) Rob Stein's good, too. Yeah,
1: and... Finally, runtime. What do you think?
0: Runtime, well, because it's going to take a while for Dr. Frankenstein to gain the credibility. There's going to be a lot of uh, focus put in the second act about him just auditioning and trying to, like, get record deals and stuff. So about two and a half hours is what I'm expecting this movie to be, because I want to put a lot of focus on that. It's about the music industry, too, as a whole, conceptually. So... A lot oh, of a lot of things to cover.
1: Man, this is a tough call. I'll go through both sides, pros and cons a little bit here. Uh Matisse, I love Johnny Depp uh and his invisible mustache.
0: Or his
2: visible his, his visible his, mustache. His,
1: his very visible <laughs> Mordecai mustache. Yes. Being the only thing you can see. I, I love the the hundred million dollar budget for it. I think yes. that's very fitting. Um, The one critique I would have is I feel like it's a little light on plot right now. You have the uh, very big ending set piece. I'm a
2: a big picture guy. (laughs)
1: Um, And then Eugene. I I love the storyline you got going. Uh, Sean Astin and uh, Jack Black especially is perfect for Igor. Um, I found it really funny that both of you were going for the Dark Universe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they need all the
2: <laughs> help they can. They do, they um, do. And I
1: think Peter Jackson's the man to save the Dark Universe. I think so. I am kind of torn on it, Eugene, because like, it's very funny and very Peter Jackson-esque, but you get a little sentimental... In the in the second and third act with the I battle of the band, what can I say? Uh, and the the music industry scathing critique at the end
2: of the night
0: style that you're movies, doing. All movies are about family.
2: It doesn't yeah, sound like there's a much of a body count in your movie, Eugene. Whereas there's an enormous body count in my movie.
0: Yes, that is where we differ. This one is going. This is more of like a a, a sweet love story between two. <laughs> Between a father and his son. This is the lovely bones. The music of universe. (laughs) Oh no 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 no! no, Don't listen to that. (laughs) He's trying (laughs) to smear me. Um.
1: Well, in terms of the movie, I would want to see. Well. Eugene, it sounds very entertaining seeing this two and a half it's hour a half long, battle long battle of the bands. I think it would drag a little bit in wow. in the second half. Wow, you don't um, know that you don't know that at all. <laughs> Um I I'll I'll say Matisse, you get this one. Yes. Um just because of Johnny Depp's Mordecai mustache. Doctor Dr. Clay uh, censorship workaround.
2: He hangs he hangs Dong without it actually being considered nudity because he's invisible. Yeah, you got
1: some yeah. lethal weapon five stuff going exactly. on.
2: Exactly. Alright. So uh our next episode will be our Christmas special, tis the season. So we will be watching uh the original Black Christmas, Santa Slay starring Bill Goldberg and for my pick what else we're going to watch um I let's uh let's talk about Krampus. Last Hell year's yeah. last year's breakout Christmas horror movie Krampus. Uh, which is a movie that I love a lot. So I'm excited to watch it again and get to talk about it on the show. I have
0: not seen it. It's going to be a great it.
1: episode.
2: So. Yes, I hope you guys are ready. This is going to be a Christmas extravaganza. A festive time. <laughs> a festivus for the rest of us.
1: I think it'll be one of the first episodes where all three of the movies are legitimately great. Yes. Look forward to that. It'll be uh, coming very soon. Very um,
2: soon. Thank you for listening. As always, if you like the show, please give us a rating and brief review on Apple Podcasts. We still don't have uh, enough ratings for them to take an average. So we'd really like to get on there. So if you like the show, help us out. Give us a shout out. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Pod People Pod for both of those. Still looking for some recommendations for themes in 2018, so hit us up on there. You can follow my personal Twitter at MrVanAwesome. I'm at Mr. Sheets. I'm and, strictly haiku. And Eugene still needs to put more haikus up.
0: And there's enough. There are like ten.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they are very, very good, though. Uh, the show is produced by Ben Sheets, who does our theme music as well. Check him out on Spotify, SoundCloud, Uh, Bandcamp, eaten by Nostalgia I am the editor of the show Which is certainly a labor of love Because I love you guys And I love the show And you love labor And I love labor (laughs) We will be back for our Christmas special Be Merry and Be Scary I'm Matisse Van Rossum I'm Eugene Lunding
1: And I'm Ben Sheets
2: Goodbye Bye Stay toasty